You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Sacred, the Wonder of God's World. In this series, we'll learn to see the goodness of God's world as men and women who have received the opportunity to become life-giving people, creatively fulfilling the mission given to us by God. Now, hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 2, 1 through 4. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Uh, It's good to be with you guys this morning. My name's Joan. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, build them up as his church, and send them to follow him in his world, whatever that may mean for them. And um, I'm thankful that you've come to join us to be a part of that somehow this morning. Uh, I come with a lot of gratitude uh, this morning. And just a couple things totally unrelated to the sermon that I'm going to let you guys know about. Uh, One is an invitation. The other is just a cool story from the neighborhood yesterday. So a a couple of weeks ago was our 10-year anniversary as a church. Uh, So if you're new here, if you've been around a while now, Surgery New Albany has been around for 10 years. And this whole pandemic thing made it a little tricky to try to plan and pull off a party in the fall when... Cases were screaming up, and these things don't come together quickly. And so we were able to reschedule it, though, now that things are looking better. So just as a heads up, December 1st, 6.30 p.m., we're just having a big 10-year anniversary party here at the church. Kids, everybody's welcome, friends, members, non-members. We're going to talk more about that in the the coming weeks and let you guys know some more exciting things that are coming. But uh, please put it on your calendar and come have a little Christmas 10-year anniversary celebration party, December 1st, 6.30 p.m., December 1st. 6.30 6.30 p.m. Bobby says if you don't say it seven times, nobody hears it. December 1st, 6.30 p.m. December 1st, 6.30 p.m. So hope, hope to see you guys there. Uh, and then the second, this has nothing to do with the sermon. It was just really sweet, and I wanted to share it with you guys. So I was out by the, the food box yesterday, and we have a couple of boxes there at the corner of Silver and Eakin. It's, we have uh, canned goods, we have books, and we have toiletries there. And I saw a lady named Birdie who was getting stuff out of her, out of one of the boxes. And I came up and I talked to her and I said, hey, thanks for stopping by. Do you need anything else? Is there anything? She's like, no, we're great. Thank you so much. And I said, well, if you ever need anything, just come ring the doorbell on the church. We'd, we'd love to help you out. And she kind of froze and says, do you go to this church? I said, I said yes, I do. I go to this church. Uh, and then she just started crying. And I was like, what's going on, Birdie? She's like, I have to tell you. Uh, the first time I ever came to this box was two years ago. Uh, she lives in some assisted housing just north of here for, she said it was older folks' government housing, and I don't really know what that means, but that's where she lives. And she said, the first time I came to this box, somebody had put a handwritten note in there that says, God walks with you, my friend, and I pray for you every day. And she said, for two years now, that has been on the mirror of my bathroom. I think about that every day, and you have no idea how much that has blessed me. And she's sobbing there on, on the corner. And so one of y'all wrote that note, 
and probably didn't think anything of it. And this has been a lifeline for this lady, a tangible evidence that God sees her, that God loves her and cares for her. Um, someone who doesn't go to our church, someone, you know, it's just someone in the community that has been blessed by a small act of faithfulness, of kindness, of intentionality. And so whoever you were that did that, thank you so much. And just know that you've blessed Birdie for two years. So I just thought that was so cool. It tickled me. Um, sermon time. So 1935 was a year that was uh, pretty similar to what we're facing now. Um, this part is a little bit different. Unemployment was at 20%. So if you care about economics, trying to imagine 20% unemployment is hard for us to relate to. Uh, but all of the economic anxiety and uncertainty around that are things we can relate to. The big bill passed. How, what's going to happen? Are interest rates going up? Are interest, what's happening with my retirement account? Or will I ever have a retirement? All of these kinds of financial anxieties were pretty much the same then as they are now. Uh, there was also a pandemic going on in the mid-30s. It wasn't the Spanish flu that we've heard some about from the last year or so. Uh, that was 1918. It was this virus, this disease called polio. And you may not know this, but there were raging debates going on in the culture about this new technology called a vaccine. So there were debates about whether or not a vaccine is a good idea. A big portion of the population had all of this hope about the polio vaccine, which if you want to know, like, where did we land on the polio vaccine? Most of you have no idea what polio is or what it does because there was a polio vaccine. And yet the polio vaccine was failing in clinical trials at the time. And there was all kinds of unrest and anxiety around that. Uh, there was also a thousand mile long storm that destroyed much of Oklahoma. It was a storm that became known as the Dust Bowl, if you've ever heard that phrase. So in the same year, wherever you looked in American society, anxiety and uncertainty was at an all time high. The economy was out of control. The environment was out of control. And there was a disease that was out of control. So just maybe to step out for a second, uh, perhaps there's some encouragement there. Perhaps that we short-sightedly use words like unprecedented a little too freely. Um, but how many times in the past year, you don't have to raise your hand, but just you can agree in your spirit. How many times in the past year have you had a thought or a feeling or said, this is just too much? It's too much. The fighting, the disagreements, the uncertainty, the positions, it's just too much. In 1935, Fortune magazine introduced a term to describe the too muchedness that America was facing at the time. Uh, the, this phrase, this term that Fortune magazine invented was called the nervous breakdown. Y'all ever heard of a nervous breakdown before? the nervous breakdown. What's so interesting to me about this is how society as a whole responded to this idea of the nervous breakdown. Fortune said the nervous breakdown was as widespread as the common cold. And here's a quote from the magazine in 1935. Um, it was the chief source of misery in the modern world. Fortune and all the doctors they consulted with for this article agreed that anyone was susceptible. And the result was basically a shutdown of your life. A nervous breakdown kept you, here's another quote from the magazine, kept you from carrying out the normal business of living. 
kept you from carrying out the normal business of living. And do you know how society as a whole responded? What Americans thought about the nervous breakdown at the time? They basically, we as a culture, as a society, basically said, yep, <laughs> we get it. Everybody kind of got it. And they said, yeah, it is too much. As a whole, generally speaking, society responded by agreeing to take a time out. These new kind of resorts started opening called sanitariums. Maybe you've heard of a sanitarium before and, and you have images of like a mental health asylum or where crazy people go or something. That's not where the sanitariums began. Uh, they, they opened up across the country. They were really only accessible to wealthy people. So don't think of insane asylum. Think of Think of like a sandals, all-inclusive all resort. These, these were like country clubs where everything was taken care of. People who had a nervous breakdown would go to a sanitarium and rest. They would play checkers and they would read books and they would paint and take naps. The nervous breakdown was an acknowledged and accepted timeout in life. And that, for whatever reason at that time, Everyone agreed that life was too much. Sometimes it's too much. And it's okay to take a break. You weren't shunned or shamed if you had a nervous breakdown. You weren't looked at sideways or as less than. People then, generally speaking, I'm sure there were exceptions, but people then seemed to look at folks going through a nervous breakdown and say, I get it, brother. I get it, sister. Me too. Or soon. <clears throat> But as the decades have rolled on, the idea of a nervous breakdown is, is no longer all that accepted. Um, it, it seems to me that kind of our, our cultural mantras do more, faster, longer, more efficient, better. And it's our bodies and it's our souls that pay the bill. It's our reputation and our relationships that pay the bill. We don't even have categories for a nervous breakdown anymore. It, it's, it wasn't this major diagnosis or this major failure in life, but now it's this thing where it's like, oh my gosh, he had a nervous breakdown. We don't even know the symptoms of it anymore because we're so afraid of what it might mean if it applies to us. I want to maybe start there. Um, helping us understand what does it look like if we're getting to that place? We're getting to that point of the too muchness is going to overtake our lives. Uh, you know, I'd like to think of it less as signs of a nervous breakdown, as more as like symptoms of a dehydrated soul or an overwhelmed soul. Uh, some folks, when they get there, have inner feelings of restlessness or consistent anxiety. W what does inner restlessness mean like? Well, just how much noise is in your life and what happens when the noise goes away? Your legs are constantly going, you're constant, constantly bouncing. You feel nervous all the time and you're not sure why. Maybe it's an irritability that's kind of mixed with an inability to sit still and be quiet, kind of always aggravated or edgy or there's a bite to everything that you say. Could be an inner vagueness. Someone asks you a real simple question like, what do you need? And you say, I, I don't know. There's this kind of inner numbness and uncertainty. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you have patterns of avoidance to escape life's responsibilities. This could be pornography. This could be playing video games. This could be just things that you run to to disappear and lose track of time. 
Maybe you have persistent boredom in your life or a longing to escape or get away, persistent melancholy. Maybe you have a profound numbness towards God's particular love for you. If you can say, yes, I get it, to a few of those, the check engine light of your soul is on. That little yellow light on the dashboard that's saying maintenance required. Our hope in this series, Sacred, has been to try to inspire and encourage us to show how significant we are as God's image bearers, to show you how abundant God is in his provision, to show you how sacred you and your life are. And maybe for some of us, it's just been overwhelming. Maybe thinking about all there is to do, all the things that we've maybe done wrong, all the ways we need to change. Maybe it's brought some of those symptoms to the surface and you're here saying, yeah, my check engine light's on. There are warning signs in my soul. For those who are there, for the rest of us who will be there at some point soon, what are we to do? As far as I know, the sanitariums are closed and not many of us have enough financial resources to say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to stop working for three months and go live at a resort. What if, what if there was a built-in rhythm of rest and delight that did not require an emergency eject, that didn't require all-inclusive resorts, that didn't require a nervous breakdown every few years? What if God knew that life would be too much at times? And what if God provided something that we could all afford, that we could all achieve, and we could all enjoy I have good news for us. Hear the word of the Lord. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all of his work. I want to take just a, a couple of moments to explain what this is saying and then spend a little bit longer trying to soak in the goodness of it. What does it mean that God blessed a day? Blessed is a great word. It means divine favor. It means a disposition of kindness. It means to speak words of excellence. For God to bless a day is a beautiful poetic way of God saying, I love this day. This is a good day. This is a, a gift of a day. God looks at the seventh day and he says, this is a good day. This day is a gift that means a great deal to me. He blessed it, said it's a good one. He blesses it and he declares it holy. This means it's special. It, it means it's different. Calling something holy is a way of saying it's set apart or it's, it's other. Whatever this seventh day is supposed to be, we're about to talk about the Sabbath. Whatever the Sabbath is supposed to be, it's different than the other six days of the week. So God blesses it, and he declares it holy. It's hard to put into words the amount of arguing and fighting and division that has happened over this idea in the few thousand years since God instituted this. Um, Jesus sums up both of these ideas. What does it mean that it's 
blessed and it's holy when he's responding to an argument about the Sabbath in his ministry. In Mark 2, Jesus says to these critics, he says, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. We'd had it backwards for a long time. Man had to do all these things to make sure we did the Sabbath right. And Jesus comes and is like, listen, y'all, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. That's what we call the seventh day. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people. God put his favor on a day, made it special, made it different to meet the needs of people. You and me, he gives us this gift, a way to deal with the too muchedness of life in several wonderful ways. This gift has profound potential to transform our souls and give us tools to equip the too muchedness of life. That's what I want to soak in now. You could think of these as reflections, pastoral musings on the Sabbath. Um, the Sabbath is an invitation to trust in action. Uh, you, could, you could call it confession with walking boots on. Let me, let me give you some example. Uh, it's easy to say, I trust God, amen? You're at church, so I, I bet at some point you've said those words, I trust God. Um, it's easy. Here's an easier one to say. I am not God. That's right. Can I do one amen? I know it's cold. I know our pilot lights off and it's chilly. I am not God. Amen? amen. Amen. It's easy to say that. It's easy, especially if you've been in church for a while to say, I am not my productivity because I'm loved. And yet we people, I almost said you people, but I'm like this functionally. What do we do? Bigger, better, more, faster, longer, more efficiently. What do we do when we stop working or we get quiet? The restlessness, the, the anxiety comes. Are not so many of us living like we have to be God? What, what do I mean by that? More, better, faster, foot on the gas, ever-increasing pressure and expectations. We can't stop. We can't say no. We can't set any kind of boundaries or limits. Go, 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 go. More, 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 more. Our lives betray who we think God is. Our lives betray our confession of how much we trust God. Sabbath fell on hard times in terms of it being practiced regularly for several hundred years in the life of God's people because they were slaves in Egypt. There aren't too many slave masters that say, hey guys, guess what? Today's the day off. Get the slip and slide out. There were no context. There was no idea of a day off for hundreds of years. When God gives them the Ten Commandments, sometimes we forget when he gives them the Ten Commandments and what the mindset of these people must have been for hundreds of years living under the whip of a slave master. And then all of a sudden they're free. Do you think they had any idea what to do with the time on their hands? That The Ten Commandments weren't rules for how to make God love you. He already saved them. He already came in and rescued them from Egypt. We need to see the Ten Commandments as instructions for how to live free. This is how free people get the slavery out of their bones. These Ten Invitations will set you free. He gives them commands for how they relate to him. The first command, the fourth commandment he gives for how they are to live in the world, how they are to manage themselves and relate to one another is 
Let me just read it for you. This is the first command for how they conduct themselves. He says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. How do you get the slavery out of people? How do you get the fear of a whip out of people? How do you learn to just be a human and allow God to run the universe? How do you learn to trust God? Stop working. God says, take one day of your week and make it a sanitarium for your soul. How? Rest. Some of you need to see how much faith it takes to rest. You have to trust God will run the universe to lay down your productivity. And one of the best ways to learn that God will run the universe is by laying down your productivity. It's making a choice to say, I don't have to perform. I don't have to produce. I don't have to achieve. I don't have to manage all of this. I can relinquish control of the universe back to God. I can relinquish control of my life. Observe the Sabbath by keep it, keeping it holy. It's different. So put your faith in action. Put, put your confession, strap boots on it, and, and take it for a walk. How? By taking a day off. It's trust in action. Now, I've talked about this for a long time, taking a day off, resting, Sabbath. And invariably, the question that comes up when I say, hey, you could just take one whole day and, and don't be productive. People will say, well, tell me what to do then. Right? Well, okay, the pastor said we got to take a day off. He's making a big deal about it. He seems excited about it, so I want to make sure I do this right. I want to have the most productive, efficient Sabbath anybody's ever had. I want to rest better than anybody's ever rested. to tell me what to do. And if it was a drug addict talking that way, we would see it for what it is. You understand? I just need a taste. Just give me a little bit more. Just give me a little bit more. If I could just, just, just a little bit. Please, anything, anything but grace. Anything but, but that. Is this a day of Netflix pizza and ice cream? Is it a day of Bible reading and piety? God repeats his invitation to Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5. He tells them, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Listen, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Rest so you can prove your devotion to me. Rest so you can level up in your piety. No. We are commanded to rest, to remember what God has done for us. Not all that we've left undone for him, not all that we must yet accomplish for him, but to remember what he has done for us. We stop working to remember who God is and how he has delivered us. So Sabbath is trust in action. It's our confession with boots on, and it's intended to be a day of delight. It's, it's a day, a whole day once a week, dedicated to delighting in the goodness of God. In the Old Testament, this was not intended to be a kind of a stiff, super spiritual day filled with prayer and weeping. One author, I'm telling you guys, 
I know you don't like reading the book of Leviticus. I know we don't like reading the Bible generally as a people. We're going to talk about that in January. So put, put your belt of righteousness on and put the full armor of God on because we got some family business to talk about in January. I know we're not reading the Bible as a church. And I, if we're not reading the Bible generally, I know you're not reading Leviticus. But I beg you, I beg you to get into Leviticus and make it to chapter 23. Because the, the book of Leviticus is God giving further instructions about how we are to live and handle everything from how you clean yourself to how, what you eat. In Leviticus 23, he talks about how you are to handle your time. It's God's plan for time management. And it is all, the entire calendar that, that goes out for decades is all built around partying. Here's, here's a quote from this, a guy's book. Um, his name is Mark Buchanan. The book is Your God is Too Safe. This is Leviticus 23. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These are all feasts from the Bible. Celebrate the Feast of Harvest. Celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Celebrate the Passover. Celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Celebrate. These were not quiet, sedate, well-mannered little tea parties. They were raucous, shout at the top of your lungs, and dance in the streets, week-long shindigs. You read this stuff enough, you start to get the sense that God is looking for just about any excuse to fire up the barbecue and invite the neighborhood over. Their entire calendar was built around these poignant times of intense celebration. Not when it was convenient. Not when everything was going okay. That's why it was built in the calendar. It's never okay. Your circumstances are never ideal. And God says, but listen, one day a week, you're going to take time away to remember how good I am and all I've done for you. And then every so often throughout the year, we're going to throw huge parties, not because you're really into it, not because you're really excited about it, but be in some ways because you're not. You need a tangible, concrete time to remember how good I am and all that I have done for you. December 1st, like we're going to try to have as fun of a party as we can at this point for a medium-sized, smallish church where we're all in different places with COVID. And it's not necessarily the ideal time, but we're trying to live into this. These are days to put the wind back in your sail, not so you can go be productive with the rest of, the, of your work week, but to experience something beautiful, to remember that God loves you, that God saves you, that God is with you. So if, <laughs> if you're the kind of person that's like, tell me what to do, I staunchly respond to that with no, no. I won't do it because I'm not a drug dealer. I don't want to feed people's addictions and their habits and their obsession with performing and proving. I will give you questions, though. If you want to Sabbath well, if you want to experience the rest of God, here's some questions for you to wrestle with. What helps you remember that God loves you? What is something that's happened at some point in your life or maybe recently that, that you experienced it or it came near to you and you were like, he might, he might actually love me. What helps you remember that God is good? What helps you remember that God is, is with you? It's in some ways why that story from Birdie is so powerful. A little note card on her mirror and every morning she reads. She repeated it three or four times to me to make sure I didn't mess up the quote. God walks with you, my friend. What reminds you of that? What makes that real for you? Where and how do you experience the presence of God? Where and how are you reminded of his promises? 
The Sabbath is a day of delight in the Lord. So what helps you experience the nearness of the Lord? Not escape, not numb, not avoid. What helps you remember that God loves you? To set aside consistent time to do these things is a practical way we embody the gospel of Jesus Christ, the richest, fullest promise of Jesus, of God. Here's what I mean. I, this is a sobering thought for me. People have been paying me to do Christian stuff for just about 20 years at this point, which is hard to believe, frankly. Um, and when I step back over two decades of life in the church, there are two things that have come up more than anything else. It's not even close. It could be different in different traditions and in different cultures. For me, these have been the two things that come up over and over and over. The first is the head-heart disconnect. You ever heard of that before? I believe better than I live. I know God loves me and is in control, but I can't sleep at night and I feel guilty all the time. I, yeah. I know the right answers, but they don't seem real to me. The second thing is deep soul level fatigue. And what I mean is this feeling that there's so much to do and God is so disappointed in me. So what should I do? I should work harder but God is still so disappointed in me, so I should work harder. But he's still so disappointed in me, so I should work harder. And then they come limping into a pastor's office feeling like God isn't real, like he's disappointed. What if there was a way for you to truly experience God's love for you? To experience it in such a way that your soul is refreshed, that your senses are delighted. The only way we Americans can lay down our productivity is if we are willing to believe we are saved by grace. And if you want to live like you are saved by grace, you have to lay down the things you cling to in order to prove that you were worth saving. God saved you because he wanted to. God saved you because he loves you. And if you want to believe that more than you do now, you must put yourself in a position where that must be true. If God saved you because he loved you and not because of what you can do, Sabbath becomes a way to embody that truth by laying down the things you do to prove that you are worth saving in the first place. Sabbath is a gift to truly experience the goodness of God's gospel. You are saved by the death of Christ alone, a gift of God's grace alone. So, Take a day off. Kick your feet up. Do something delightful. Make pancakes. Do a puzzle. Watch movies. Wrestle your children. Go on a hike. Work on a car. Build a shed. Plant some roses. I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. The point is, this day is a gift given to you to remember what God has done for you, that he's with you, and that he delights in you. So on that day, you can do whatever it is you would do if you knew that you were loved and you were safe already. And you can do the things that help you believe and know and remember that you are loved and you are safe already. And I'm telling you, if you do that once a week, you'll wake up one day, probably pretty soon, and realize I am loved because I am God's.
I'm not loved because of all I've pulled off this week. I'm loved. I'm safe because Jesus loves me. Most of us don't need a sanitarium. We just need a Sabbath. A beautiful, special day where we learn to trust God, experience his goodness, and believe his gospel, which is what we come to do every Sunday anyway. We call our minds to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread. He blessed it, thanked God for it, and then he broke it. He said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. Eat this, and you know the word? Remember what I've done for you. In the scriptures, you will find God telling people true things and then giving them something practical to do to help them remember it. Oh, you want to remember I'm the Lord who saved you? Take a day off. You want to remember what Jesus has done for you? Take this and eat it. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.